Welcome back to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein. I'm an audiologist, a speaker, a podcaster, a parent coach. I do lots of things within this mission of helping people understand what is hearing, what is hearing loss, and what are the impacts of audiology on our day-to-day lives in our relationships, in our ability to communicate and learn. So we try to take a really big, open, inclusive approach here, but I'm always constantly learning. And I want you to know that I'm so grateful for all of you who send me messages on Instagram, on Facebook, through the email. And yes, I am just so blown away by the reach and and community that this podcast uh, is creating. I also would like to tell you very transparently transparently that I have not had any sponsors to the show. This is something that is completely self-funded and that it really, really, truly makes a difference if you can, if you are able, if you're interested, if the podcast brings you value to become a patron on Patreon. And the link there is patreon.com slash allaboutaudiology. And there's some great perks over there for people who become patrons. And shout out to Darla, who is the first and awesome patron that I have for the show. That helps to cover the hosting, the editing, um, you know, all the time of bringing the guests and producing this show. And in addition, I also want to let you know that in the past several months, I've been doing these workshops with chapters of organizations, specifically with Hands and Voices, but also with other groups, parent groups and other speech therapists, different workshop topics that can be either customized or you know a topic that I have prepared. And the goal of these workshops is to really dive into your experience with audiology, whether it's a specific topic like winter is coming and we need to talk about middle ear stuff and how are we going to prevent it and treat it and what is the whole story? What's with all these ear infections, right? Like that's one topic. But one of my most popular workshops is the FIG method for advocacy, which is really an incredible tool that once I you know, explain it and teach it and we work through the workshop, people have a sense that it's useful immediately, that they can apply it to the situations that they're in that are upsetting, that are difficult, that are challenging right away, today. They can go and decide what is the conversation that they need to have or not in the world of advocacy. I also have another workshop that I offer is about breaking the stigma around hearing loss. So many communities um, have a lot of internalized ableism and issues around what it means to have a disability or how do we treat someone with even within our own family how do we accept that news the feeling of grief you know sometimes in itself is a little bit problematic where someone will say why are you grieving this thing that other people might celebrate but everyone goes through their own challenges and has their own history and has their own experience that is what's so important So if you or your organization, your school, your parent group, anybody uh, who's interested, please contact me and we'll set up a workshop that's exactly customized to your members, to your group and your needs that will help you to feel that sense of possibility, that sense that you can do it. You're doing an amazing job for yourself, for your family, for your students. 
So feel free to be in touch and we can create an amazing workshop or even series of workshops for you. That being said, I'm excited to jump into this podcast episode with Natalia Popham, who actually we recorded this episode many, many, many months ago, and then it uh, resurfaced to me that it never made it into the podcast. Um, Natalia reached out to me recently that she is considering studying audiology, um, but her story is is phenomenal, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. So here we go. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and today on the podcast, I have a guest. Natalia Pavum is going to share her story with a very specific and unique kind of hearing loss, and I think it will be very interesting and informative for our listeners. Welcome, Natalia. Hi, it's great to be on. I'll just tell you a little bit about my background and Let me know if you have questions or anything. When I was two, my mom took me to a hearing screening. She saw a just free hearing screening in the newspaper. And she says that she's not sure if she had an inkling that something was going on or if she just took me because it was a free screening. But when I went, the audiologist who did it said that there were things that I was missing, that I was such an active two-year-old, they couldn't be sure if it was hearing loss or if it was just because I wasn't focused and wasn't paying attention, so that they should take me back when I was older, um, because there were some red flags that they thought I might just be really active. I had a little brother the next year, and my parents got busy, but kind of were noticing still, like, hmm, she doesn't respond when, you know, her brother responds to the same thing, and they started kind of testing it kind of noticed that there might be something, but life got busy. And a couple of years later, um, right before kindergarten, they did the just routine hearing screening for all the kids. And that's when they figured out that I did have hearing loss. Um, at the time, it was more mild to moderate. So they wanted to just see how I did with hearing aids. What did your parents say, like if, they, if you can remember, if they told you, um, like what kind of things were you missing? What were the behaviors or the sounds? Yeah, so with reverse slow hearing loss, I, and it's changed over the years, but at the time, it was mostly just the low frequencies, um, mild to moderate hearing loss, and and I don't know exactly what decibel it was at at the time. Sounds that I was missing were things like M and N. I can't tell the difference between, um, I think the sounds that I understand the best are like the, T, S, those kind of sounds up in the (laughs) high frequencies. So they said that they thought maybe I was just being silly and not listening very closely because I would like get things wrong that they were saying to me. Um, Or they thought maybe I just, you know, wasn't being that obedient um, until they went to the audiologist and realized, oh, actually there is a hearing loss. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's take, let's just take a moment and explain reverse slope hearing loss. Um, So we have the audiogram from low frequency sounds to high frequency sounds. And when we do a hearing test, we check all those different frequencies that contain all the different sounds of speech because we want to make sure that you can hear all of them. And a typical hearing loss, or most of the time, it is sloping, meaning it, it goes down in the higher frequencies so that someone could hear those uh, low frequency sounds like vowel sounds, but then actually miss those super high frequency S, TH, F those are the high frequency sounds. That's more of a typical hearing loss or else there's flat where it's the same amount of hearing loss across all those sounds. 
And it's a little more unusual to have a reverse slope hearing loss where it's more hearing loss in the lower frequencies. So that was good that you, you know, that you mentioned and you were able to pinpoint like the M and the N are very similar letters and they're both low frequency. So you had that diagnosis right, uh, right off the bat, like uh, during kindergarten age before you went into kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So I went to kindergarten and they got me some green translucent hearing aids that they got me really excited about. So I wore them for a few years and did well with them. I was very outgoing and precocious and my parents were very much made my hearing loss not a big deal. You know, it was just part of life and I do think that's what it should be. But I think that really helped me, you know, just it wasn't a big deal. It was just part of our life. And, you know, I had the support I needed. They always talk to my teachers at the beginning of the year, like, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on. Uh, please make sure that you're facing my daughter when you're talking to her, that she's in the front of the classroom, things like that. Even if I missed something hearing it, I still generally knew what was going on. Upper elementary and middle school, I started getting more, you know, em embarrassed because that's the age that you don't want to be different or anything like that. And I thought that I could get away without wearing my hearing aids. So I would try to do that. And they, my parents let me for a time. They kind of made it my choice as well as I was doing well, as long as I was doing well in school. I did all right with that. Missed a lot of what was going on. But as far as like conversations, I think with doing the homework and paying attention, reading books, I was able to keep up until high school. I think my hearing started getting a little worse and I started needing to wear my hearing aids. And so besides for academically, did you also feel it in social situations? You know, when I was a kid, I I don't think I noticed it as much because I, I mostly just wanted to read my book and <laughs> be left alone, you know. So I don't I don't know if I noticed it very much until I started getting a little older and wanting to understand more of what was going on with my peers and make friends. And I had friends, but I think I didn't notice it as much or care as much when I was younger. Yeah, we hear that a lot from... Um, from parents of that middle school age, like fourth grade, fifth grade, it starts about, and then it starts to be a bigger deal. And kids, they don't know what they're missing. I mean, anyone with hearing loss doesn't know what they're missing because so, they missed it. <laughs> right. And I think I had no idea what I was missing too. I just really didn't realize that I was missing so much during that time. And to me, you know, like I said, during that time, I was embarrassed of it, which I wish I hadn't been, but I was just at that age. And so I think I mm -hmm. thought the payoff was, oh, I don't look different. You know, no one will know, which of course, I'm sure people were like, why doesn't she know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you miss the jokes and like the, the whispers and the things that go on. And then you're getting the social equivalent of those things, missing out on those things. But you know, we were all kids once. <laughs> yeah. And something interesting that I've learned just, you know, I didn't, know that reverse slope hearing loss was less common until a couple years ago when I started doing my own research um, because I wasn't getting very good answers at the time. And something that I learned was that a lot of times with reverse slope hearing loss, we perceive sounds differently than other people. And I never knew that, but it made a lot of sense when I found that out too. So I really didn't understand what I was missing or what things were supposed to sound like. What kind of sounds? What specifically? If you remember, if you have ideas, because you know. Yeah. So my husband is a musician, um, a singer, and he actually noticed that um, because I've 
you know, had voice training, but never really was successful with it since I couldn't hear very well. He noticed that when I would sing, it would be accurate, but not correct, because I was hearing differently than what the music was. So it would be consistent, because I thought I was hearing it one thing, but really the music was another thing. And since I've never heard, you know, what would be considered an average hearing, I don't know exactly how it's different. I thought that was interesting. I think the pitches. Do you mean like the pitches? Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's very interesting. Okay. So take us back to high school. After your middle school uh, uh, break, little reprise, did you bring them back then in, in high school? Yes. So my family moved to a different state in high school. And I think at that point, I had been realizing in middle school how much I needed my hearing aids. And I think I got to the point of being willing to try them again because I didn't want to miss out. And especially moving, I didn't want to start out with having a clue what people were saying or conversations that were going on. I asked my parents to get me some new hearing aids in high school, and they did. And they weren't green and sparkly, or...? (laughs) They weren't green and sparkly, no. They were actually purple. (laughs) But I thought that was kind of fun at the time. I was ready to be in a new place in life where I wasn't going to be as self-conscious. You know, that doesn't always work out great in high school, but I wanted to try, so. Keep on going. We want to hear about your life. (laughs) So I went through high school and was wearing hearing aids. Uh, My mom asked me over the years at different times if I wanted to learn American Sign Language and I wish as an adult that I had taken her up on it because now I'm trying to learn it as my hearing has gotten a bit worse and I'm realizing how amazing ASL is. But at the time, I kept turning her down because I didn't know anyone who signed. Um, I saw it as something that, again, just would make me different, but I didn't really see the benefit of it because I wasn't very immersed in the deaf community at all. So some things that helped me just to be successful in school and just social situations as well, was just teaching people what I needed for them to face me, have good lighting, that, you know, if they're close to me and I can see them read their lips well, things like that that would help. And, you know, even though I didn't learn sign language, just between advocating for myself, you know, which can be hard to learn as a young person, I think it was very, you know, sometimes I did it well, sometimes I didn't do it well at all and should have spoken up more. Um, There were a lot of years where I missed a lot of things because I didn't speak up for myself. But that's something I've learned as an adult. Just, it is worth it to say something because I want to know what's going on and be involved in the situation. That's so so powerful. Yeah, self-advocacy is one of those things that is very, very hard to, you know, like you said, speak up for yourself and have the confidence to say what you need. And I love the way you said it. At first, you said, teach them what I need, which is true because people need education. They don't know what you need if you don't tell them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think in the beginning, it was really hard to advocate for myself because I didn't know what I needed or I would get, you know, feel like I was being pushy, but then I was just missing out. Um, So over the years, I've learned that, you know, I do need to do that. And it's not pushy if I say it, you know, in a nice way, just, hey, can you please move your hand from in front of your face? Like, I need to read your lips, something like that. I'm really lucky. My friends and family have been very good about that. Something with reverse slope hearing loss is that a lot of times our speech is very normal. And so people don't realize that we have hearing loss. For me, the easiest voices to understand are women (laughs) with high-pitched voices who speak loudly. Um, I can't really hear children or men very well. I know it's different for everyone depending on what frequencies their hearing loss is in. 
But even as an adult, I'm a teacher. I teach third and fourth grade. I have had to learn how to teach my students how to speak to me because I can't hear children's voices very well. So they know they need to be right in front of me. I need to be able to see them. I think having hearing loss has actually helped me a lot as a teacher because it's helped me to be aware of my environment because if you can't hear, you definitely have to be aware of what's going on when you're teaching a class full of kids. I do believe that it's something that God has allowed to be in my life because it's changed who I am as a person um, from who I would have been otherwise. Just, I think it's taught me to, first of all, that self-advocacy, the confidence, you know, and also just being aware of my surroundings. Yeah. In a previous episode, we had, we were talking about how children who have hearing loss actually sometimes tend to be really good communicators because there's such a focus in their whole like uh, growing up, they're so they have therapies and they have uh, people and IEP meetings and communication strategies and people are always focusing on them being able to communicate that sometimes they come out ahead in that arena specifically, which might seem counterintuitive, but you see that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think you have to put in so much focus on communicating that it becomes second nature after so many years of working hard on it. And then, so what happened after high school? Yeah, back and forth. Most of the time I was sold on it. I still got a little self-conscious because, you know, those teen years, but it was worth it for me at this point because I realized that I really needed them. I was trying to, you know, do AP classes and do well in school. It's involved in a lot of things. So I needed to know what was going on. (laughs) Um, In college, I started getting more just learning about my hearing loss and kind of realizing that everyone, whether they have some form of physical or mental disability, whether they have something in their past, everyone has something, you know, and so I started just realizing that it's okay. This is part of who I am, but it doesn't make me better or worse. It's just part of my life, you know, just in college, meeting more people and having that realization. So, you know, some services from the disability support services, like having a note taker, since I couldn't really read the professor's lips and take notes very well, things like that, but kept wearing my hearing aids. Um, It wasn't really a big thing in the center of my mind very much. There's so much else going on in school. It was just like a part of my life, you know? Um, After college, actually, when I had my first child, um, so I got married right after college, and then a couple years ago, I had my first child, and my hearing started getting a lot worse. We don't actually know what was the cause of my hearing loss, my great grandma was adopted, so it's possible that it's genetic and we just don't know. They also said it could be viral. They just never knew. They ruled out things like autosclerosis or Meniere's that could form reverse slope hearing loss. So we don't know what caused it, but it started getting a bit worse. And I remember about when my son was about one and a half, there was a two week period where my mother in law, my husband, and my best friend all told me hey, I think your hearing's getting worse. You should get it checked. So I went to the audiologist I was seeing at the time and she just turned up my hearing aids without testing my hearing or anything. She just kind of turned them up a little bit and was like, okay, try it. And so I went, which was not for listeners. And I'm sure Lila will say this. That's not the best. Yes, my mouth is agape. You can't see me, but oh my gosh, please. Yes, always ask for an updated test, especially if you think there's been a change. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I also did not know 
what was best. So I'd been to audiologists every year, all my life, but I was a kid. I didn't, and I wasn't trained. I wasn't a professional. So I didn't know what best practices were or what should be done. So I went back. I can't remember how much longer, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months. I was like, Hey, I'm still having a lot of trouble with these hearing aids. I sounds are louder, but I'm really not understanding much of anything. I'm almost purely relying on lip reading. So she did a hearing test and it had changed only about 15 decibels, which was still, you know, my hearing had been tested less than a year ago. So that was still what she told me was a significant change. But she basically said, hmm, I don't know why that is, but I wouldn't worry about it. Okay, so for our listeners, if it's a 5 dB change, that's test, retest, reliability. That means you do the test today, you do the test tomorrow, maybe you're more focused, maybe you're more tired. 5 dB up or down isn't really significant. But 15 dB certainly is a change, especially if it's at more than one frequency and coupled with your own reporting that this is a big change. So just FYI right there. Yeah, so it was bad. And I was starting to get the sense of that, even though I didn't really know yet. So I started doing research on my own because I was frustrated. I felt blown off because I don't know what she meant to communicate. But what I heard was, oh, hmm, it's changed a lot, but it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. That's what I heard. I'm sure that's not what she meant. But so I started doing my own research, just reading a lot of articles by audiologists and even using YouTube, um, I found Dr. Lilax um, Saperstein's podcast, actually, because I was researching audiologists to try to learn more um, just about hearing and about hearing loss. As I was researching my own hearing loss, I started getting more and more just intrigued by how hearing works, how amplification works. I had no idea that there was such a diversity of people's experiences with hearing loss. I hadn't even known that mine was rare until I started doing research and realizing that I think the number was like one in 12,000 people with hearing loss have this kind. And my understanding was it's not better or worse. It's just unusual, you know. But as I was doing my own research, I started just finding people who were really passionate about making sure that people who are going through this journey understand what's going on and are able to have resources. That was hugely helpful to me. I found a YouTube channel, um, Dr. Cliff, and he does a lot of education. But through watching his videos, I realized that I had not, in all my years of audiology experience, I hadn't had some of the basic best practices done, like real ear measures um, and things like that. So I actually went and found a different provider who I had seen good ratings online and I saw that, okay, she does some of these best practices that now I know to look for. I'm so proud of you because that takes a lot of courage. You know, you buy a hearing aid through one, one person and you, you know, they're licensed, they have a whole practice. Like, why shouldn't you trust them? But if you don't like it or you don't feel comfortable or you find out that something is off, it takes a lot of courage to then say, I'm going to go get another opinion. I'm going to get some care somewhere else. And that's really brave. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah, I think I was just frustrated enough with my experience that I wanted to look for something that was going to work. The same audiologist who told you that, who changed your hearing aids without doing a test, then did the test and then told you not to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also what's doing real ear measurements yes. in their office. Yes. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, real ear measurements or REM is a, a way to test 
how the hearing aids are giving enough amplification or giving enough louder sounds, making sounds louder, specifically to your hearing loss, specifically in your ear. So they put a tiny microphone, we put a tiny little microphone in a tube on the other end of your hearing aid inside your ear, and then make sure that the settings in the computer match exactly how they're supposed to, to the targets in the software. And yeah, it's definitely a best practice to have REM if you have hearing aids. Yes. And it turned out it was very critical that she had not done those because I went to my new audiologist and that was the first thing she did. And she said, oh goodness, these hearing aids are broken. Basically, they were only amplifying the high frequencies, which is exactly what I don't need. Because for me, the portion of my hearing where the loss is more mild, still there's loss, but it's more mild, is like 8,000 hertz. So for that to be the only part that's being amplified, no wonder I was missing almost everything. So it wasn't amplifying any of the mid or low frequencies that I needed. So she kind of told me, talked to me about what my options were, which I appreciated. In the past, it was always, okay, here's the hearing aid that I think you should get. Here's the dome, you know, good day. And so she talked to me about, <laughs> she talked to me about what my options were. She said that I could send them in to be fixed. Um, she talked to me about what that would cost and what that would look like for my hearing prescription. She did also say that I could choose to get new hearing aids because the kind that I had were not a great fit for my loss. Um, first of all, for my particular hearing loss, I needed to have ear molds. I had just the little domes and they were letting out a lot of sound. They were not nearly powerful enough. They weren't also, um, what's the word? They weren't on the computer fitted to my prescription. They were fit to more of a regular high frequency loss. And so no wonder I was having all this frustration with them. So I did decide to just get new hearing aids because I wanted some that I knew would work, um, were a little bit better, just higher quality um, because I have an active and busy lifestyle. So for me, that was worth it. And with the ear molds that I needed. So this audiologist was great. She even, you know, even though it didn't benefit her, she like showed me about I qualified for this Starkey Here Now program. They helped pay for my hearing aids. Like, it was awesome. I remember just telling all my friends and family, like, hey, keep this in your prayers. Um, I, you know, I'm applying to this. I don't know if I'm going to get it. And then when I sent in my application, because it was paperwork and all that, they said it would probably take a couple months to get back to me. That was normal. I heard back two weeks later that, yeah, you got accepted. And then was able to get the ball rolling really quickly, which for me was so amazing because, you know, I'm a mom of now two young kids at the time, one working full time, busy otherwise. So it just helped so much just to make life easier to have that piece of equipment working, you know. That's amazing. Really good for you. And then when you got the new hearing aids, did you feel that there was a significant difference? Yes. So the funny thing is, I remember thinking, like, even though my hearing had changed and it had been better in the past, I was now hearing better than I remember hearing before because I just had technology that was functioning properly. And, you know, my audiologist, I don't know exactly how she programmed mine, but I know that she did not just take the factory settings that it had. Like, I think she went from the ground up. And because my hearing loss is the opposite of what it normally is, she um, adjusted it to like what it should be for mine, not just what the hearing aid manufacturer said it should be. Exactly. So there's something called first fit, 
which is what the computer just offers you right off the bat. And then there's fine tuning where you can go in and really set based on different frequencies. And when you're doing REM, you can get really accurate um, fine tuning on hearing aid uh, programming. That's very, very important, specifically for unique kind of hearing losses. And there's actually something, we have a lot of audiology students who listen to the podcast. So this might not apply or be interesting to everybody, but I know the students who are learning are always grabbing onto the stuff they, they're you know excited about, just like I was in school and never lost, continue to be excited. There's a concept called the upward spread of masking. And that the upward spread of masking means that if you give a lot of amplification in low frequencies, it can actually be detrimental in the high frequencies. It can affect what's like too much gain in the lows will actually start to mask or cover up the gain that's in the high frequencies. And that's just like a natural phenomenon in acoustics and in our ear. And so when you have a reverse slope hearing loss, it's very difficult to be careful not to over amplify because then if you find the lows, you get this upward spread of masking going into the higher frequencies. And yeah, you have to do a lot of good fine tuning to avoid that. Uh, done with technicalities, back to your story. Right, no, and I, those are the things that I've just started learning about through my own research and have been getting so interested and um, fascinated in learning more. My experience when I got these new hearing aids that maybe for the first time were fit properly was that I was hearing sounds that I'd never heard before, or at least I didn't remember ever hearing before. A lot of it was background sounds that I'd forgotten about, you know, the road um, appliances. And even just, I didn't realize this part kind of like was a bittersweet, you know, I didn't realize how much with like my son, my really little boy that I wasn't hearing him or understanding him. And so that's something where I noticed a big difference just in communication with people as well. Um, I think that I still do struggle in different situations if there's more than one person talking with my hearing aids, but it's still such a huge difference just having them fit properly. That's really great. And a very important point that you bring up about how hearing aids are not going to be perfect and helpful in every situation. If there's a lot of talkers, if you're in a room that's really noisy, like sometimes we have patients come in and say, well, I was at a wedding and it was very hard to hear. And yes, everyone, even people who have typical hearing, have trouble hearing at a wedding. <laughs> there's very loud music. There's uh, the band playing and about 100 people talking and clinking glasses and a big reverberant hall. That's really not an ideal communicator situation. It will be more challenging, obviously, for someone who has a hearing loss, but it's not the place to decide if your hearing aids are, are doing what they should be doing. That's a challenging place. So it's really good that you're also able to evaluate how well they're helping you, like with some realistic expectations that in the gym, while everyone's playing dodgeball, it's going to be very hard to hear the students. <laughs> I bet you have very good classroom decorum. Can you tell us a little bit about how, more about how you talk to your students and keep them talking one at a time and facing you and all that? Yes. So it has helped my classroom management quite a bit. My first year of teaching was, for anyone, a hard experience. Um, very, it, it helped 
prepare me for being a better teacher now. But my first year of teaching, I did not know very much about classroom management. I did not know how to tell my students to speak to me. And it was middle school at a more challenging school. So all these factors. But since that time, I've learned a few things that have helped me as a teacher just to be able to manage them better, teach them about my hearing loss and not make it in a way that, you know, they're going to take advantage of me or something, you know. Kids are mostly good, but everyone has their moments. So at the beginning of the year, I just tell my students a little bit about me in general, you know, and I learn a little bit about them. The first couple days, you kind of are setting up the expectations for your classroom and getting to know your students, letting them get to know you. So, and most teachers that I know do that. So as I'm doing that, you know, one of the things I tell them is, hey, I am hard of hearing. I can't hear very well in either of my ears. I wear hearing aids and lip read. Um, Here are some things that, you know, I expect from you is that, you know, the regular things like raising your hands when you want to speak, but also, you know, I tell them, I need you to look at me when you're talking. I need to be able to see your mouth um, because I rely on lip reading with my hearing aids. And then also something as an adult, I have been learning sign language, you know, so I teach them some sign language too, because sometimes with all the sounds going on, I still just can't understand them um, because there's other classes next door, you know, people drop pencils or shuffle papers, things like that. Just sounds that you can't avoid, you know. And so I've taught them some signs to use also. So like if they want to use the restroom or get water or if they need help with something, um, I've taught them just some basic signs so that then I know the kind of general idea of what they need. And then I can talk to them more, get closer and figure out exactly what they need um, if it's more complex. That's so valuable. So helpful to have another mode of communication. And the thing that, the thing that comes up for me when you talk about that is, is kind of like a, a little pinch about how so many children who are deaf and hard of hearing don't get access to sign language. And they're the, the kids who really would benefit from it and rely on it. So obvious to many of us that lots of people would benefit from having additional visual communication, even just basic signs in lots of situations. And so that's where my, my heart goes out to, to that issue in the world of deaf education. But good for you and lucky students. <laughs> right. Well, and I think it does benefit them too, because even them using those signs to tell me what they want cuts down on just some of the chatter or chaos that could otherwise happen when just by more people talking, you know, um, talking's not bad at the right time, but I have noticed that it helps, <laughs> helps there be a little bit less chaos. And some of the students really have fun with it. I had one little girl last year who told me that she was trying to teach herself sign language so she could communicate better with me. And I just thought that was so sweet, you know, so some of them really latch onto it and think it's cool. Others just are kind of like, okay, miss, you know, <laughs> we'll try. But I wish, I really wish I had learned as a child, you know, my parents gave me the option, but I think I didn't realize at the time how valuable it would be. So. Natalia, can you tell us a little bit about the advice that you have for other people who are going through what you went through either for themselves or parents of children with hearing loss, um, what are some pieces of advice that you would give them along 
their journey, even though you've already said so many wise and helpful things like self-advocacy, learning about your own hearing loss to understand it better, and uh, switching providers if you don't like them. Those are all very, very wise wisdom. But anything else you'd like to share with us? I think sometimes when parents realize that their children have hearing loss, if it's not like a deaf family or someone where, oh, this is already something we kind of were expecting or... I think a lot of times when it's families who only have experience with hearing, you know, there's not been any hearing loss. Sometimes it can be scary or seem like this huge thing. I know my parents went through that a little bit at first, but I would say just not to get discouraged or think that it's this huge thing that's going to define your child's life. Because my experience has been, yes, it impacts communication. Yes, it's been part of my life, but it hasn't made it any worse by any means. If anything, it's taught me different things that, you know, maybe I've had to learn or overcome, but that's actually ended up benefiting me. So just for parents that they not get discouraged, not think that, you know, this is going to be hardship for their family or their child. Um, I really appreciate that my parents always just, you know, taught us, okay, look directly at my face. And honestly, that benefits any child because that's respectful, you know, so just it can your child is still just as likely as anyone else to have, you know, happy, normal, just life that is full. So not to, not to get discouraged, not to think it's going to be a bad thing. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And I was also so impressed and happy that you brought up that you can find resources online, support groups and informational videos and all about audiology podcasts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm so honored that you reached out to me because um, it's really, this really the whole point of my podcast was doing this exact thing, hearing people's experiences and gaining from each other's wisdom and knowing that you're not alone and you're not, you don't have to know everything at first and there's people who are out there ready to help you. <laughs> right. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And Natalia, if anybody wants to reach out to you or have any questions for you, where can they find you? They can contact my email, which is natalialauren49 at gmail.com or find me on Facebook. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for sharing. Letting me share my story. It's really been a pleasure.